you have your Bibles with you this morning, I hope you do. I want to encourage you to open them to John. John chapter 4. I know that sounds odd because uh, normally we're in Matthew and we will be next week. Um, but this morning, briefly, we want to turn our attention to John chapter 4 as we consider this, this challenge, this church-wide challenge that we're calling Share Hope with One. And I want to begin just making uh, a simple statement uh, that really is the gist of what I want us to hear this morning. And this statement, this principle, this truth is this, that receiving the gospel creates a responsibility to share the gospel. I want to say that one more time. Receiving the gospel creates a responsibility to share the gospel. And I want you to do something with me this morning. If you know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, if you say, I'm a Christian, I want you to think back briefly with me this morning to that moment when you gave your life to Christ. If you know Jesus Christ, your personal Lord and Savior, there had to come some moment in your life you may not even remember that moment, but, or may not remember the exact date and time, but you know there was a moment in your life when you came to know Jesus. And I want you to think about that moment with me briefly this morning because I think sometimes we get so far removed, a lot of us, we get so far removed from the point of salvation that we forget this amazing gift that we've received. Because at that moment, when, when you placed your faith in Jesus Christ, you, you may not have understood everything, but you understood some very simple truths. At that moment of salvation, at its base level, you, you had to understand, at least to some extent, that you are a sinner. That you came to an, an understanding that you had fallen short of God's glory you had sinned against a righteous and holy God. And you were spiritually broken. And nobody had to convince you of your brokenness. You knew it to be true. Scripture says of you in Ephesians chapter 2 that you were spiritually dead. You know what the Greek word for dead is? It's dead. It means dead. Just means done. You can't overdo being done. You're just done. You're dead. You couldn't do anything. So you were spiritually broken. You're a sinner. You're spiritually dead. And you knew in your heart you deserved death and hell. You'd sinned against a holy God, and what you justly deserved was death and hell to be separated from God forever in a place that we call hell. That's what you justly deserved. If God left it that way, that would be completely just. That would be completely fair. And you knew you couldn't save yourself. So you came to a place of hopelessness. A place of despair. But somehow, by the power of the Holy Spirit, somehow your eyes were open to the beauty of Jesus. 
Maybe you were in a church service. Maybe you were talking with a friend who started talking with you about Christ. Maybe you were in this big crowd of people at some kind of Billy Graham crusade. Maybe you were at home in your room alone. Maybe you were driving in your car. Maybe you pulled over to the side of the road. But at some point or another, you all of a sudden understood, not only am I a sinner, but Jesus died for me. You understood God loves me. In fact, he loved me so much he sent his son to die for me. And you began to understand that God not only loves the world, he loves me. And Jesus died not for his sins because he's perfect and he's sinless and he's God, but he died for my sins. It became personal to you that Christ died in your place. He took your sins on his shoulders and he took the punishment that you justly deserved. And in that moment, you began to understand that if I got any hope of salvation, it's only going to occur through this guy. And you trusted in Christ. Knowing you couldn't save yourself. Knowing that Christ was your only hope. You trusted in him with all your heart. You placed your faith and you placed placed your trust in Jesus for salvation. And in that moment, Scripture says, you are spiritually Born. Reborn. Your sins were forgiven. The burden and the guilt of sin was lifted from your life. Your sins were as far as the east is from the west. You ever been with a moment when they, been with a person at that moment when they were spiritually born? You ever been with a person when they prayed to receive? Listen, there is nothing greater in all the world than seeing the light come on And seeing a person so overwhelmed by their sin and the beauty of Jesus and they just trust in him. And you were spiritually born again. You were adopted into the forever family of God. You were transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of God's dear son. And you knew forgiveness. And you knew peace. And you had a hope. And for the first time, you had a future. And you knew that God had placed you on this earth for a purpose that was bigger than yourself. And you became a Christ follower. And God began to work in your heart. You you all of a sudden started to talk differently than you used to. And suddenly you had a joy in your heart that you you couldn't quite explain, but you knew was there. And you began to think differently. And the things that you didn't want to do, all of a sudden you want to do. Like reading your Bible. All of a sudden, I love this book. I like reading it. And going to this place called church, I like being around these Christians. And you begin to change your values and, and your dreams and your plans begin to change. And it's not that you were perfect, you, you still sinned, but all of a sudden you began to experience something called conviction. And you began to experience the love of a God and a Father who loves you enough to correct you. And that same love that when you're in your sin and you turn back to him, he picks you up and he sets you down a path that leads to true life. Now at that moment of salvation, you may not have understood all that, but you knew you were a sinner and you knew that Jesus was your only hope. And you ran to him and you placed your faith in him. And he didn't become to you just some hobby. 
<laughs> At that moment, Jesus wasn't a hobby that you pick up on Sundays. And it wasn't that Jesus just became a spiritual add-on, some religious add-on in your life. No, in that moment, he was your only hope and your greatest joy. Can you remember back to that moment when you realized Jesus was your only hope and he became to you your greatest joy and you trusted in him? Now, here's what we know biblically. There's no way Scripture presents it in such a fashion that there's no way to have received that gift of salvation and not tell somebody else. That receiving the gospel creates a responsibility to share the gospel. Paul said it this way in Romans 1.14. You'll see it on the screen. You might want to jot it down. In Romans chapter 1, Paul is talking about the gospel that's changed him. He's talking about his heart. This is who Paul is. Remember, Paul was a guy who was a persecutor of the church, and God showed up to him on the road to Damascus. Paul wasn't looking for Jesus, but Jesus came looking for him, and Jesus changed him. The gospel transformed him. He became a new creation, as Pastor Bill reminded us of this morning. He became a new creation. In fact, so new that he had to change his name. God did a work in his life. And then he says this. Look at what he says in Romans 1. He says, uh, 1.14, I'm under obligation. I am obligated both to Greek and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So for my part, I am eager to preach the gospel. You see, the rumor was that Paul was afraid to go to Rome. They thought, well, Rome is where the smart, the intellectuals are, and he's afraid to debate us. And Paul says, listen, I ain't afraid. I'm eager to get to you. I'm eager to tell you the gospel. He says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for this is the power of God of, uh, for salvation for all those who believe. Paul says, this is the gospel that has changed my life and I'm not ashamed and I can't help but tell other people about what Christ has done for me. Paul says he has an obligation. For Paul, gospel proclamation was not an option. It was an obligation. Listen to me. It wasn't just an obligation for Paul. It's an obligation for all of us that know Jesus Christ as our personal and Savior. I know some people will say, well, you know, Paul said in Ephesians that he gave some to be evangelists. And I understand there is. I, I, I believe there's a gift of evangelism that is given. And we've seen this historically throughout the church that God has raised up men with a special giftedness like Billy Graham to proclaim the gospel in a special way. But that in no way excludes us from telling other people about Jesus. I don't particularly think that I have the gift of evangelism, but in no way does that exclude me or excuse me from not telling other people about Jesus. That great commission in Matthew 28, 19, and 20, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and lo, I'm with you always, even the end of the age. That was not just some optional extra that Jesus gave to a group of religious zealous in, in the first century. No, that is the mission and the commission of every person who knows Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. Do you realize this today? I don't care what else you're doing in the world. Your primary mission, everybody wants to know what's God's will for my life. There it is. 
Whatever else you're doing in the world, whatever occupation God has given to you, wherever you find yourself today, your primary mission is to tell others about the good news of Jesus Christ. Not only is it our obligation, but it ought to be the overflow of our life. You know, the, the, the New Testament assumes that healthy Christians will share the gospel. In my preparation for this, I went back and looked and, and I was kind of searching Paul's letters to find these places where he would, he would command the church to, to share the gospel, to go evangelize. And you know what I found? Those commands from Paul are very rare. Very rarely does Paul command the church to tell people about Jesus. Now, why is that? Is it because Paul didn't want people to tell us about Jesus? No, we see it in other places. The reason it's so rare is because it's assumed. Listen, in Paul's mind, he couldn't comprehend a group of people who would come to know the free gift of salvation and not tell somebody else. In fact, you read Acts. You couldn't shut those guys up. The more they were persecuted, the more they shared. It was the overflow of their life. In fact, the more they were persecuted, they just found joy in it that they were counted worthy to suffer on behalf of Jesus. It was the overflow of their life. Not only is it an obligation overflow, it's, it's our opportunity. In other words, it's our privilege. It's a great privilege to tell people about Jesus. I mean, we, in our nation, we have um, uh, ambassadors that are appointed by the president, confirmed by the Senate, and they're appointed uh, on behalf of the president in our nation to go and represent us in foreign lands. And it's a high privilege. Listen, a lot of people want these jobs. This is, there are so many people that are maneuvering their lives and their political careers to try to get to a place where they'll be appointed as an ambassador to a foreign nation. Because it's a high honor. It's an incredible privilege to be able to rec uh, represent our nation on foreign soil. Listen to me. That pales in comparison to being an ambassador for Jesus Christ. We are not ambassadors of some earthly nation or some earthly king. We are ambassadors of Jesus and the kingdom of heaven. That is what Paul says. Paul said it in 2 Corinthians 5.20. He says, therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were making an appeal through us. In whatever place you find yourself, you're, you're an ambassador in your workplace. There's a reason why you live where you live. God didn't put you there because it was the cheapest house or a great deal. God put you there to be an ambassador in that neighborhood for him. Wherever you go to school, yeah, you're there to get an education. Can I tell you your primary purpose is to be an ambassador for Christ in that, in that school. In your workplace, in your neighborhood, in your community, our number one obligation is to be an ambassador. But it's a privilege. Listen, the greatest privilege of our lives is to know Jesus Christ. The second greatest privilege is to get to tell other people about him. I don't know about you, but I'm absolutely overwhelmed that God would save me and then say, hey, you want to participate? I'm doing something really cool. I'm going to build my church. I'm going to bring people to myself, and you can get to be a part of it too. Isn't that amazing? You know, it was asked Billy Graham, if you could ask the Lord Jesus Christ one question, what would you ask him? Do you remember what Billy Graham said? He said, why me? God, why would you ever want to use me? He said, the greatest privilege of my life is to get to tell other people about Jesus. This is an incredible privilege. It's, it's our obligation. It's, it's our overflow. It, it, it's a privilege. It's an opportunity. So here's the question. Why aren't more Christians telling other people about Jesus? 
Because statistics show us that most Christians have never told anybody about Christ. You know the greatest threat to Christianity? The greatest threat to Christianity is not atheism. It's not liberalism. And it's not socialism. The greatest threat to Christianity is Christians. Who are trying to sneak into heaven without ever having told anybody about Jesus. That's our mission. That's what he told us to do. He couldn't have made it more plain. Here's what I want you to do. Why aren't we sharing? Why aren't we telling anybody about Christ? Now, I choose to believe it's not that we just don't care. I'm choosing to believe that we actually do care about lost people. But here's the good news this morning. We aren't the only ones who have struggled with this. And I'm in this boat this morning too. I'm not just preaching to you. Listen, the Lord's been working on me. So I'm with you on this, all right? You're feeling a little miserable? I have been too this week. Join with me, all right? The disciples struggled too, at least initially. Later on, it was no problem. Early, they struggled. That's why I wanted you to turn to John chapter four. I want us to look briefly here. John four. In this passage, you'll remember, we're gonna look at verses 31 through 38, but you'll remember the context here is Jesus has encountered this woman at the well. She didn't go out looking for Jesus. Jesus came looking for her. He intentionally went into this area that, believe me, the disciples did not wanna go. Jesus was always putting himself around lost people. Well, I don't know about you, but how much of our lives is trying to hole up in a corner so we don't have to ever interact with anybody? We drive in our houses, we push the garage door. I don't want to talk to them. We build up these walls around. I don't want to talk to those people. Jesus, Jesus was always putting himself around lost people because he loved lost people. And so he goes to this woman, he intentionally goes to this woman who's not looking for him. She's in a sinful condition He initiates a conversation with her, which, by the way, would have been taboo because the Jewish people couldn't stand the Samaritans. They were a mix of the Assyrian and the Jewish faith. And he initiates a conversation with a woman who is sinful and lost and nobody probably wanted to talk to, but Jesus loved her. And he begins this conversation with her. And do you know what the first thing he will? He's going to have this conversation about water, and we can't go into all that this morning. But you know what he thinks he does here? He confronts her sin. Look, uh, look at verse 16. Go and call your husband. She says, I got no husband. Jesus says, you're right. You've had five husbands and the one you're with now, he's not your husband. He confronts her sin. Now, most people say, well, Jesus, you just blew it. You ticked her off. She's going to leave. Now you're, now you're going to lose your opportunity. But you know what Jesus understands? You cannot share the gospel. A person cannot come to know the forgiveness and the grace of Christ until they first understand that they're a sinner. You and I, this is the beauty about telling people about Jesus. Our job is just to tell the truth. God's the one who does the work of salvation. We're trusting him to do what we cannot do. So we just share the truth. And Jesus shares with her the truth. And we know, we don't have time to go into it, but somehow her eyes are open. This man knows things about me that no one else knows. And she comes to a place of realizing that this guy is the Messiah. And she trusts in him. And what is the first thing that this woman does? Having come to meet Jesus and having been introduced to him and having understood that he's the Messiah, what does she first do? She goes back to her village. And in verse 29, she says, Come see a man. Isn't this awesome? She automatically becomes an evangelist. She got no training. 
She didn't take faith training. She's not been to EECWE. She's not been through Way of the Master, the three circles. She's got no theological training. And yet she goes back to see why? Because she met Jesus. How can you not tell people that you just met the Messiah, the creator of the world, who knows things about you that you don't know? It's a beautiful, this is that that receiving the gospel creates a responsibility to share the gospel. She goes back, come see a man. Then all of a sudden the crowds start coming to Jesus. We pick up the story in verses 30 and 31. It says, they went out of the city and they were coming to him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, Rabbi, eat. Now at the beginning of the story, Jesus sends the disciples to get something to eat. Now they've come back, but Jesus is no longer concerned about food because of all these people who are coming to him. And yet the disciples say, Rabbi, stop what you're doing. Let's eat. The disciples are hungry and they know we can't eat till he eats. So you stop doing what you're doing because we would like for you to eat at that moment. And then in verse 32, Jesus said to them, I have food that you don't know about. And in verse 33, no one brought him something to eat, did they? In other words, did somebody run and grab him a burger? Did he have a sandwich in his pocket? What's going on here? And listen to what he says in verse 34. My food is to do the will of him who sent me. Jesus says, you guys are worried about your stomachs. You're worried about your next meal when all I really care about are these lost people who are right here in front of me. You are so concerned about these earthly issues that you are missing your eternal purpose that is right in front of you. And then he says in verse 35, do not say there are yet four months and then comes the harvest. Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields for they are white for harvest. He says, lift up your eyes. Can you not see these people? The disciples, they had the same problem that I often do, and maybe you have, that they were so concerned with their earthly problems that they missed their eternal purpose. Listen to me, Satan will often try to deceive us and get us into error. Sometimes he'll try to disqualify us by means of sin, but you know what I think he loves to do more often than not? He just simply seeks to distract us with earthly things. That he gets us so distracted and disattracted from the gospel and from sharing Christ with lost souls, that our prayers no longer become about holiness and people, they become simply about how we can accumulate more goodies and more stuff. And Jesus said, what would it profit a man if he gains the whole world and yet loses his soul? What does it matter if you accumulate a whole bunch of stuff? but you missed out on the eternal purpose for which I've placed you on this planet. You know, one of the occupational hazards of being a pastor is that you attend a lot of funerals. I go to a lot of funerals. You know what? I have learned to count it a blessing to go to funerals. In fact, I believe that every person who knows Jesus, you ought to go to at least one funeral a month. If you don't have one to go to, call me. We'll set you up. Do you know why I, 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 I counted a blessing to go to a funeral? Because every time I go to a funeral, I hear Jesus saying to me, lift up your eyes. It's an opportunity for me to recalibrate my life according to God's purposes. Because let me tell you something. Every time I go to a funeral, you see these people. And you realize in that moment that all this stuff we worry about, at that moment, none of it matters. Went to a funeral this week, Doral Baird, 
amazing man of faith. Listen, at his funeral, nobody was talking about what car he drove. Nobody was talking about his house. But his children got up and said, this man taught me how to pray. And his children, his grandchildren got up and said, this man taught me to read the Bible. And this man taught me to love Jesus and to be bold in my proclamation. At that moment of death, you'll realize, you see in every funeral that all that really matters is the lives and the souls that we've impacted with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Where are you storing up treasure? Jesus says, lift up your eyes for the fields are white for harvest. What does it mean that the fields are white for harvest? When the fields are white for harvest, what does it mean? It means now's the time, get busy. My mom, she's the daughter of an Oklahoma peanut farmer. And during the harvest season, when the harvest came, they took the kids out of school. Why? Because school could wait, but that crop can't. We got a window of opportunity, and so everything else, we got to just put it to the side, and right now we got to focus on that one thing. And what Jesus is reminding all of us here is that there's a window of opportunity, and now is the time. That either we're going to pass away or Christ is going to return, but we're not guaranteed another day or another moment, and our obligation right now in the time and in the opportunity that God gives us is to be about his business, his will, which is sharing the gospel with those who do not know him. You know, I, um, over the past couple of weeks, just been contemplating all the things that I do that are just absolutely a waste of time. One of the things that I'm trying to cut out, I've been trying to cut it out completely is I'm trying to stop watching cable news. Because I realize something. Every time I walk, watch cable news, I just end up mad. I've never once watched cable news and walked away and said, boy, I am optimistic about tomorrow. <laughs> it is going to get good. Woo! Every time I get mad. But here's what's most sad. It's not just that I get mad, I get distracted. And somehow Satan tricks me into thinking that somehow if we could just change a piece of legislation or get a new politician into office, that things would get better. And I'm here to tell you this morning that the only hope for our culture is Jesus. The only way to change a culture is to change the people within that culture and the only person who can change them is Jesus. And I find myself complaining all the time. And I have heard the voice of God far too often say, why don't you stop complaining and start doing something that will actually make a difference. If I told as many people about Jesus as I complained, I'd have made a much bigger difference in this world. I truly believe that if we talked as much about Jesus as we talk about politics, we'd have won the world twice over for Christ. 
When are we going to get serious about this? This is the mission. This is the reason that God has placed us here. And we need to know this too, just briefly. Bear with me. They're not wandering in our church anymore. There was a day and time you put up a nice sign on the side of the road. You put up a really pretty sign and have a nice little building and people just wander in your doors. That day is past. They aren't wandering in the doors. Every now and then we'll get a person who just wanders in here who doesn't know Jesus. Listen, there is another generation coming up that they know nothing about the things of God. They have, they're, either, they're either so uh, frustrated with the church or they have no church have passed that they're not thinking about coming to church. They're not. They're not thinking. The only way we're going to reach them is if we go tell them. We got to go to where they are. And you're the insiders. Listen, I, we have sold you a bill of goods that you gotta leave, to leave this to the professionals. And I admit that a lot of times church leadership, we have given you a false impression that this is just for pastors to do. This is all of us to be engaged in this. You're the insider. When I get on a plane and I engage a conversation with the guy next to him, sooner or later he's gonna ask me what you do for a living. I'm gonna tell him I'm a pastor and as soon as I do, he tunes me out. He thinks we get paid to do this. Somehow you're on commission and he don't wanna hear a word I say. But do you know who they will listen to? Listen, I got to do it too. I'm not, I'm in this with you. But listen, they're much more likely to listen to you. But you got to tell them. So here in, in our world, just look this up this week. Over 3 billion people in our world who have no gospel access. Do you understand that? Three billion people that we would consider unreached. They have no gospel witness in their community or their city. Three billion people that they might have heard about Jesus, but they have no idea what he came and did for them. It'd be like me asking you about Confucius. You would say, well, I know a little bit about it, but I have no idea what he did. That's most, that's these three billion, that's their understanding. I may have heard about him, but I have no idea what he's done for me. But let's bring it to a more local level here in Kansas City, the greater Kansas City area. We've got approximately 2 million people that live in the greater Kansas City area. And current statistics tell us that only about 20% of people in greater Kansas City area know Jesus Christ, their personal Lord and Savior. That means there's 1.8 million people living in Kansas City who do not have the hope of Christ. That means 8 out of every 10 people that you will encounter this week, either at the grocery store, in your school, or at your workplace, they they have no clue what Jesus has done for them. And they've certainly never received him. They've never had a moment like we talked about earlier. Now, those numbers can be absolutely overwhelming, can't they? We talk about 3 billion people. We talk about 1.8 million people. Those numbers are overwhelming. And here's our temptation. Well, that, that number is so overwhelming and it's so big that we just throw up our hands in the air and we say, we're gonna hole up in our little holy huddle and just wait for Jesus to come. Because oftentimes we'll say, well, if I can't, can't reach all of them, well, I just won't try to reach any of them. And listen to me, you can't make that excuse as a Christian. So listen to me this morning, we're not asking you to think about everyone because you can't reach 1.8 billion people, but you can reach one. I'm not asking you this morning to think about everyone. I'm thinking, I'm asking you to think about one. I'm asking you to do for one what you wish you could do for everyone. So on your way into the service this morning, you should have gotten one of these cards, Share Hope with One. I want you to take it out right now. If you didn't get one of these cards, raise your hand. 
You got to share hope with one. If you don't have a card, raise your hand. Ushers, we got several here. We're going to get around to you. you. You bear with us. If you don't have a card, raise your hand. Over the past couple of weeks, I've been encouraging you to pray about somebody in your life who doesn't know Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. And listen, we should all have somebody in our life. And, and listen, I don't know about you, but I have to be intentional about encountering lost people because I'm here at the church and I'm fairly certain most of our staff know Jesus. So I gotta go outside. I gotta, I gotta go intentionally. And so if you don't have somebody, hang on to your card and go find somebody. Um, but we should all have somebody that we're praying about right now. And what I want you to do is I want you to write their name on this card. You don't have to put their last name. You can just put last initial. If you don't want to put their first name, just put their initials. God knows who they are. Not about us. We're not trying to out anybody. We're not doing any of that. We just want to know their name so we can pray for them. So if you want to put first name and last initial, that'd be great. If you just want to put first initial and last initial, that's great too. Just put something on there that makes you remember that you know their name of somebody right now in your life that you have a burden for. Again, I'm not asking you to think about everyone. I'm asking you to think about one. Who is one person in your life that doesn't know Jesus Christ? I want you to put your name and your email on there. And the reason we want you to do this is because we want to encourage you over these next couple of weeks as we pray. Because here's what we're asking you to do over the next couple of weeks as you put this name on a card. We're not asking you to invite them to church. That's great. If you want to invite them to church, that's great. That's awesome. But what we're asking you to do is tell them about Jesus. Now, some of you, that just made you a little scared. You're asking me to tell somebody about Jesus. What if I get this deal mixed up? Listen, if you know Jesus, you can tell somebody else how to meet Jesus. You just have to tell them what God did in your life. Just tell them what Jesus did for you. If you have a story, you could share Jesus. Just tell them what Jesus did for you. So we're, in, we're really challenging you. We want to encourage you over the next two weeks. You'll put your name and your address on there or name and email address, we'll, we'll, we'll be encouraging you over the next couple weeks. But here's what I want you to do right now. We, hopefully you've got your name on your card. I want everybody, if you've got a name on a card, would you lift it up? I want you to lift it up high. I want to see this. I want you to do something right now. Look around this room. Hold them up. Look at this. Look at how many names we have. You can go ahead and put it down. What would happen if just a third of these people came to faith in Christ? What would happen if half these people came to faith in Christ? What would happen if all these people came to faith in Christ? Here's what I want you to do. I want, I want you to take a brief moment to pray for that individual right now. Just right where you're sitting, Pastor Bill's going to begin to play. Right where you're at. Would you voice a prayer on behalf of that person? You know them. You know their situation. I want you to pray for them right now. And when you've had a moment to pray and pray specifically for that person, when you get done praying, it just, it just has to be a brief prayer. But once you've prayed, here's what we want you to do. We want you to come and take this card and put it up here on the altar. And in a symbolic way, what you're doing is you're saying, Jesus, I can't save this person, but you can. And we're giving them to Christ. Now we got to tell them. we got to be bold. we got to take advantage of the opportunities that God gives us. But only God can save a person. So what we want you to do, when you get done praying, you can just begin to make your way on the front. Just, just place it up here. You can place it in one of these baskets there at the foot of the cross. You see some cards already over here. You just come, lay it up here on the, the stage, put it in one of these baskets, but you come bring your name and you lay it up here and say, I'm giving this person to Jesus. When you've got your card filled out, you can just bring it on up.
Wouldn't it be amazing if that person you're praying for, if they trusted in Christ as their personal Lord and Savior? Wouldn't it be amazing if they knew the same hope and freedom and forgiveness that you've experienced through faith in Christ? Wouldn't that be phenomenal? What change it would make. So we want to give them to Christ. If you're in the balcony, I believe there's some baskets up there. But if you're already making your way, come on. I think there's some baskets up there if you want to put it up there if you don't. But if you're coming, just come on. Keep on coming. Just keep bringing them down. We're giving them to Christ this morning. We're asking God to do what only He can do. As we continue to come and bring these cards, I want to encourage all of us to stand. Let's just stand to our feet. If you're bringing your card, just keep bringing it. If you're in line, just bear with us. You'll make it. But we're going to have a time of response this morning because there's a chance that that somebody's here this morning and you're one of those ones that's wandered in here and you don't know Jesus. And maybe you're here this morning and quite honestly you'd say, you know what, I don't even really want to be here. But maybe somebody invited you and you came with somebody else and maybe this morning you've realized, I don't have a moment. I've never trusted in Jesus. I've never placed my faith in Him. We want to give you an opportunity to do that right now. Your moment could be today. I'm going to be here at the front. We're going to have pastors here at the front. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, can I challenge you? Would you come? Would you come to the front? Would you be willing to say, I need Jesus this morning? Would you allow him to transform your life? Would you allow him to forgive you of your sins and to set you down a new path? Maybe you'd like to unite with our church family. Maybe you just want to pray here at the front. This is your time. You will never regret obeying Jesus. So we're going to sing. You respond as we sing. If you haven't brought your card, you can keep bringing it. But if you'd like to respond, you respond as we sing.